Hey, welcome to the Bartender's Perspective. I'm so happy to have you here. Work is done for the day. Pull up a chair, have a seat. I'll pour you a drink and let's get started. So on tonight's podcast, you know, I know everyone here is, for the most part, familiar with the beginning of creation. However, tonight, you know, I want to talk about what happened before the beginning of creation. I want to discuss my perspective on what I think the Almighty had set out to do from before our beginnings, when he first encountered the darkness and what role it would take when he created light, separated the two, and then put into motion how the two would shape our existence as he began to then build creation. But before I begin, you know, I just want to remind everybody, you know, like I've always said since the beginning of my podcast, I want to remind you that it's just my perspective and nothing that I say should be taken as doctrine. You know, this is some seriously deep stuff and it's just a perspective. So with that in mind, the book of Genesis, you know, the first book of the Bible is not just a creation story, you know, but a profound exploration of the concepts of light and dark as they relate to God's creative power. You know, and to understand this, you know, let's let's look at the, the scripture. In the opening verses, you know, of Genesis, we encounter, you know, the famous line. In the beginning. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So these words, you know, they paint a picture of absolute darkness. You know, a canvas, if you will, upon which God would soon unleash his divine light. The concept of darkness in Genesis is not just the absence of light, but also a symbol of chaos, you know, emptiness and formlessness, if you will. It's the raw material from which God would craft the universe, bringing order you know, and purpose to the void. You know, and then the transformative moment arrives, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, this demand, uh, divine command, you know, brings light into existence, illuminating the darkness, you know, and setting the stage for creation. But you know what people are not talking about? What about the darkness? You know, it's important, you know, to note that darkness too has its place in this narrative. You know, it, it doesn't, it's not banished. It doesn't go away. You know, the light was established to bring balance to the darkness. They are both integral and necessary parts of creation. And as a part of that establishment of balance, you know, God separated the light from the darkness as it was written, and he called the light good. But bef before we move on, you know, I want you to ask yourself for a moment. What does make that light good? You know, why did he call it good? You know, the word has got multiple meanings. And I know the generally the definition that most people want to follow is the one where it's the definition that states, you know, that which is morally right and or righteousness. You know, and that is just one definition. But there's another, you know, several other definitions of the word good. You know, one is to be desired and or approved. So check it out. Imagine you're looking to buy a new car and you ask for recommendations from friends and family. 
you know, they suggest a particular brand and model, you know, because they had a good experience with it. So, you know, in this case, you know, the car is considered good because it is desirable and approved, you know, by those who have used it, making it a suitable choice based on the definition of the word good. So as you all know, you know, we live in that world where all these places want reviews, 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 where people can find out about an item and or product before they buy it. You know, so in this case, you know, people heavily rely on the opinions of others. And, you know, in this case, you know, what's, what do people find desirable? You know, what do people approve? You know, so on and so forth. So, you know, another definition uh, for the word good, you know, it's having qualities required for a particular role. You know, so, I got one. I got one. So an example of this would be a job candidate, you know, who possesses the qualities required for a specific role. If a company is looking to hire a project manager, you know, and the candidate has excellent organizational skills, leadership abilities, you know, and a strong understanding of the industry, they can be described as good for the role of the project manager because they have the qualities required for that position. I mean, I another one here. Uh, this one's good. It's having a benefit or advantage to someone or, or something. You know? I got it. How about installing solar panels? You know, installing solar panels on a home is considered good because it provides you know, a benefit to both the homeowner and the environment. You know, the homeowner benefits from reduced electricity bills, while the environment benefits from reduced carbon emissions, you know, and a decrease in the use of fossil fuels. So, yeah. You know, the definitions I just gave you, the light was not good in the sense of good and bad, you know, righteousness or not righteous, but it's good in the sense of it being approved, you know, desired. You know, required. You know, and it's of benefit and advantage, you know, to us in order for our creation to begin. You know, I've read about pastors that interpreted that when God called the light good, that automatically made the darkness bad. You know, and while those pastors, they did have a very valid point. They did. I gotta give credit where credit is due. But I think it is much, much more than just good and bad. In our time of interpreting the will of God, you know, everybody else gets to do it, so I'm going to do it too. We missed, uh, we missed out on what message was actually being conveyed when God saw that the light was good. Making the light and then separating it from the darkness and seeing the balance that light gave to the darkness. You know, this is why I believe the context with which I provided you is why God called the light good. So what do y'all think? Think about it. But yeah, uh, for the rest of this episode, you know, I just I want to talk about, you know, some of the symbolisms of the balance between light and dark. You know, we've talked enough about the balance, you know, so let's get into the nitty-gritty of our world. You know, and how this stuff, you know, in Genesis from Genesis can be applied to our own lives. 
I mean, light in Genesis, it does represent God's creative power, you know, himself, his knowledge, and order in what would later define in one unique way as we're made in his image. You know, it's the force that dispels chaos and gives life to the world. And it truly is a symbol of divine revelation. So sunsets and sunrises. You know, the transition from day to night and night to day, it symbolizes the eternal balance between light and darkness. Well, most of us go to bed when, you know, when it becomes dark out and for the third shifters, when, you know, the shift is over, we still need in those instances, darkness in our circadian rhythm, you know, or the sleep wake cycle, if you will. And sleeping in the dark is advised to be most effective, you know, to achieve REM sleep and, you know, to fall into a deep sleep. But if that cycle is broken, there really is an increased risk, you know, to your risk, to your health. You know, you got neurological problems, you could end up overweight and um, a much higher likelihood of heart troubles at a later, later age. So in this instance, we need darkness to help us with the production of melatonin, you know, and ultimately the sleep that we get and everything helps us with our, the strength of our immune system and fighting off diseases and such. So, you know, this one's big. Plant growth, y'all. In the beginning, seeds sprout in the darkness of the soil, you know, and then they reach for the light as they grow. You know, this phenomenon you know, it showcases the delicate equilibrium between both elements. You know, as part of our very existence, you know, we need plants to grow. So we have food to eat. The livestock that we use as our food source also requires that plant growth. You know, that grass fed Angus beef needed the needed that plant growth. <laughs> Life and death. You know, the circle of life, I mean, there's so many other examples and belief systems, but in this particular case, the circle of life involves the birth of new beings and the light and their eventual passing into the darkness, you know, representing you know, one version of the eternal cycle. Here in the now, from our birth, opening our eyes for the first time to seeing the light of the world, to when we take our final breath and our bodies return to the darkness. Oof. Deep stuff, y'all. So, you know, the modern world embodies a balance between the innovation, you know, of technology, light, and then the preservation of a natural ecosystem, in some cases, in the darkness. So in this instance, this one anyways, uh, I want to talk about what happens when that balance is upset. You know, there's a problem in our world today uh, it's called light pollution, and it's the brightening of the night sky and caused by street lamps and other man-made um, sources you know, that have disrupted the effect on natural cycles. Nighttime lighting, you know, it disrupts wildlife. It can. You know, nocturnal species that have adapted and for some are dependent on dark environments, and they're particularly affected by light pollution. You know, these species, they have evolved, evolutionary speaking, you know, with enhanced senses and smell, eyesight, 
hearing and echolocation. You know, these adaptations to dark environments are vital for their ecology, you know, migration, behavior, and downright survival. You know, a couple examples, you know, evading day active predators and reduced competition for resources are just a couple examples of many benefits to those species. And in our world, you upset the balance on one thing, well, you do the math. The flicker of a candle's flame to the light from a cell phone in the darkness you know, demonstrates the harmony of light and darkness in a simple, everyday way. From that light, we are given the ability to see. From seeing, we are given understanding and knowledge. <clears throat> the old expression, paying that bill to keep the lights on, you know, it's super relevant in this case. You know, if we don't have lights, we can't run a grocery store, drive in a dark highway, see that blind date you spend all that time talking to, and then you finally meet. Well, without any lights, who knows? You know what else, though? And sometimes it takes extinguishing brighter light to illuminate what is hidden in the darkness. You know, or a lesser light, if you will. Take that glow stick, you know, or glow-in-the-dark t-shirt, for instance. You know, in our minds, from the noise of this world, you know, we close our eyes in order to meditate in a dark place. It is there that we can find peace and seek God in the darkness with no distractions, you know, for those of you who, who do so. Man, it's deep stuff. I gave this a lot of thought, y'all. You know, emotions like joy and sorrow, you know, representing light and darkness respectively, are integral to the human experience. You know, they're, they're forming a constant, you know, an ever-progressing equilibrium. Joy and sorrow can be thought of as an emotional experience. You know, they're intertwined you know, with that constant equilibrium between light and darkness and in our life. Joy is often associated with light, happiness, you know, and positive experiences. It represents moments of brightness and positivity in our lives. It can be seen as light breaking through the darkness, providing a sense of hope and happiness. Sorrow, on the other hand, you know, is often linked to darkness, you know, sadness and challenging times. It represents the difficult you know, and trying moments in life. Sorrow can be seen as the moments when the light diminishes, you know, when we experience the darkness of pain and loss. So the equilibrium between these emotions, you know, it reflects the ebb and flow of, jo of life, excuse me. Joy and sorrow are interconnected and often follow each other. You know, sorrow can make us appreciate joy more when it comes, and joy can help us cope with sorrow. This constant balance between the two is what makes life meaningful, you know, and it helps us grow emotionally and spiritually. So in essence, you know, the interplay between joy and sorrow, it mirrors the eternal dance between light and darkness in our lives. 
creates this profound tapestry of human experience. So the art world, it's a great example. I mean, a great example, y'all. Um, I actually talked to a regular uh, last week who told me about this and you know, they're like, oh, you're going to use it in your podcast. I'm like, yep, I sure am, because this really pertains to what I'm talking about this week. So anyways, going off on a tangent. In visual art, you know, the interplay between light and shadow is essential. You know, emphasizing how both elements create depth, you know, and creates beauty. So the term in this case, it's, I practice this one, it's hard to say, it's Italian, uh, Chiaroscuro. And this is an Italian term, which literally means light, dark. You know, in paintings, the description refers to clear tonal contrasts, which are often used to suggest the volume and modeling of the subjects you know depicted. Uh, for you enthusiasts, got to give credit where credit is due. You know, artists who were famed for the use of chiaroscuro. You know, include Leonardo da Vinci, you know, and Caravaggio. That one is so much easier to say. Uh, Leonardo, he employed it to give a vivid impression of the three-dimensionality of his figures. While Caravaggio used such contrasts, you know, for the sake of drama. But yeah, both artists, you know, were also aware of the emotional impact, you know, of these effects. Super cool stuff, y'all. I went and actually looked at a bunch of this artwork, and it is indeed exactly as it is. Great examples of light and darkness in this case, and examples therein. So I was so so excited to present this to you. Anyways, you know, these examples, all this stuff, it illustrates how the balance between light and darkness, you know, it's intricately woven into the fabric of our daily lives and the natural world. All this shows, you know, at least from my perspective, that while the formation of light was good, you know, so is the formless void of darkness. If we didn't have it, our existence would most likely never have been. Without that balance, we wouldn't have the world or the universe that we live in today. And I know it's a bold statement. I understand that. You know, there are so many other examples, you know, but just, and there's too many to name y'all for this one podcast episode. So I'm just addressing, I'm only addressing, you know, the sheer awe, the reverence, and honestly, you know, it's amazing. I can't even fathom it, you know, at the thought, the love, you know, and care that the creator of the universe put into our creation. In conclusion, the delicate balance of light and darkness as depicted in the book of Genesis is not just a poetic metaphor, but a profound reflection of the human experience. It reminds us that both light and darkness have their place in our lives, symbolizing creation and rest, order and chaos, knowledge and mystery. You know, embracing this balance can lead to a deeper understanding of our own existence and the world around us. As we contemplate the words, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, we are encouraged to appreciate the intricate dance of light and darkness and the beauty it brings to our journey. 
So in closing, if you like my podcast, please feel free to tell at least three people about my podcast if you think they'll get something out of it. This will help me continue to get my message out there to more people. And if you want to support the show, you can visit my website, leave me a tip in the tip jar. But unless you want another drink, as always, thank you for your stopping in. Here's your check. My regular podcast hours are as always every Sunday night at 7 p.m. So you can come back and see me then. Have a great night. <laughs>